Several years ago, uh, I, I was in El Paso, uh, Texas. You'll hear me mention that uh, several times in sermons about being in Mexico. But I, I was in El Paso there. Uh, it was like October. I was there to take pictures of, of kids. We, we took about, I don't know, 100, 120 pictures of kids for uh, a ministry we started called Operation Anapra. It's kind of a kickoff, or, a, or a, we stole the idea from Franklin Graham, Operation Christmas Child. But we go and take pictures of kids, and, and then people get to adopt them and, and, uh, and know who, that they're, who their uh, box is going to. But I was down there. It was, it was Sunday morning. I, I got up early. I was staying uh, with one of the missionaries. They, they, uh, Raphael preaches at the Anapra Church uh, there in uh, Juarez. Uh, and let me just throw out a little commercial here real quickly. Uh, I'm going back in July. Reed and I are going back in July with a group from Central. We actually have some openings, so if any of you would like to go to Mexico this summer, I can, I can promise you warm temperatures and sand as far as the eye can see. There's no beaches or water, but there's sand as far as the eye can see. But if you'd like to go, seriously, we do have some openings. We'd love to, to invite you along, so just talk to me later, and I'll let you know what you need to do. But anyway, I was, was uh, staying with Raphael and Rosa, and... Uh, I got up early Sunday morning. I was going to preach that day at another church in Juarez, so I got up and, and uh, began to take a walk through the neighborhood and kind of go over my sermon. Now, I probably looked kind of weird because I was in, pro- I would assume, a 95 to 97% Hispanic neighborhood, and here's this gringo walking through their streets, and I imagine as I practice my sermon, I might, maybe I didn't do it, but I have a feeling I was doing this because I can't talk without using my hands, so as I'm kind of going over my sermon, I'm sure... People looked out their window and saw this guy and like, what is going on? But, but I kind of walked through the neighborhood and working on my sermon. And then I, I got this idea. Uh, Raphael's uh, and, and Rose's son and daughter-in-law, uh, Ralph and Susie, lived about a mile from them. And I thought, you know, I'm going to walk over to their house. I was actually preaching at their church that morning. So I thought, I'll, I'll walk in and just say hi. And, and uh, I'd been to their house a few times. And so I, I began to to walk towards what I thought was their house. Uh, and I took a couple turns and went into a couple different neighborhoods, and, and uh, I finally realized after a while that I'm not going to find their house. I, I, I thought I knew where it was, but I wasn't, so I thought, I better stop and turn around and go back to Raphael and Rose's house. So I stopped, and I turned around, and, and, and then it hit me. And it, it kind of it washed over me, uh, uh, this this panic because I realized I had no idea where I was. Now this was like I said 15 years ago. We had a cell phone, but it was I think a big old bag cell. Phone, I don't know, but it was back in in uh, Missouri. Um, so I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't know what their address was. I didn't have a phone number. I'm I'm on a street corner in this subdivision in El Paso, and I didn't know how to get back to their house. I figure any minute now they're going to get up and they're going to, where's Tim? And they're going to get ready for church and where's Tim? And I'm going to be wandering these streets. I just stood there like, what am I going to do? And, and so I stood in the street and I, I, I just began to circle and look around. And that's when I saw it. That's when I saw it. Allow me, we'll come back to that. Allow me to, uh, to share with you a, uh, a parable. We're going to be looking uh, in Luke chapter 15 this morning, a, a chapter that deals with parables, parables that you're familiar with. Uh, in fact, we're not really even going to read those. You're familiar with, uh, with them en- enough. But imagine, if you will, 
that a Christian speaker, a, a, an author and speaker that's well-known has come to your city, and he's going he's gonna to speak to the city that day. And you are excited because this guy is good. You've read all of his books. You've heard him on, on, on tapes, and you're like, man, I get to see him firsthand. So you arrive at the venue where he's at, and you open the back door and step into the room, and as soon as you step in the room, you can feel it. There is tension. It, it's palpable. It's, it's so thick you can cut it with a knife. It is so obvious when you step in that there's tension there. And, and it only takes you glancing around the room for just a second and you realize what's causing the tension. Because over on this side, you guys chose wisely to sit on this side. Over on this side is, is full of people that you recognize. They're there's a bunch of religious leader types over on this side. You see pastors from the area. And you see elders and their wives from the area. You, you see a businessmen that you know are believers. It's all people that on this side that you recognize. And you know these are upstanding people. The ladies are all dressed real nice. They've got dresses on and look great. And the guys, you know, at least have slacks and, and, and nice shirts on. Some of them with suits and ties. And man, you look over there and he's like, I know these people. In fact, you, you begin to hear their conversations, and they're, they're talking about theology and church growth and church methodology, and, and oh boy, you look over there, and, and then you look over here. <laughs> Sorry, guys. And they don't fit in. Like, your, your first thought is, oh, man, this is, this is embarrassing. They come to the wrong room. They must have got the, the wrong room number, and they think this is where they're their tattoo event is at, and and uh, but over on this side, I mean, there's some guys that are pretty rough looking, some 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 gangbanger types with tattoo covered in tattoos. There there's some ladies that, well, how, how can we say this gently that that are just dressed inappropriately for the event of the evening. Uh, you know, they're a little skimpy and showing things that they shouldn't be showing, and and then there's some other ladies that are in there. And some of you may not find that wrong over here. There's some ladies in their pajama pants and their house shoes. And, and, and there's a couple guys that, man, they're just literally dirty. And, and, and you can smell. You can smell them from, from where you are as you enter the room. And, and then you're like, where do I go? Before you can decide, do I go this way or that way, a door on the stage opens up and out walks the speaker for that night. Soon as people see him, everyone on this side stands up and they began to cheer and yell. You hear a couple praise the Lord and God bless you and you know all that kind of religious stuff because you all are religious over here. They begin to yell and I'm everyone's excited and you're, you're, you're thinking as you look this direction, they're going to figure it out immediately that they're in the wrong place. But you glance over there and they've stood up too and they're clapping and they're yelling and of course, they're kind of hooting and hollering, not praising the Lord, but they're hooting and hollering. And, and, and the, the guy walks off the stage, pa past the pulpit, off the stage, uh, and you figure, well, someone's told him backstage that there's a mix-up. These guys are in the wrong room. And he walks over towards him. He's going, this guy is good. He's going to gently tell him that they've come to the wrong place, that their event is down the hall, two rooms to the left. And, but instead, he walks over to this side, and he begins to embrace people. He begins to shake their hand. And he walks up to the ladies and puts their, may I, and, and puts their arm around and give, give them a hug. And he even walks up to this one guy that, that's all tatted up and doesn't smell very well. I'm not saying that to you. 
Smells fine, by the way. <laughs> but he walks up, you know, and all the people over here, they don't know what to do. Can you, can you imagine, can you imagine the tension? Can you feel that tension? You're the ones that belong, and they don't belong, but he headed that direction instead. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15. We're today only going to read the first two verses. Um, again, you're going to know the, the rest of the chapter. If you don't, I would encourage you to, to look at it later on. Uh, the rest of the chapter has the three parables uh, uh, of the lost sheep, the, the lost coin, and the lost son or the prodigal son. We're very familiar with those, those stories. But to understand those stories, to understand the, the meaning and the value and the truth of those, you really have to understand the scene. You have to understand the tension that was going on when Jesus told these parables. And, and, and we find that tension, we see that tension in the first two verses. So if you have your Bible, look with me in chapter 15. This is what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners, just so we're, that's you guys. The tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I want to share this, this morning uh, this, this story, this, this, this setting, this group of parables. Here, we're really going to see two things. Here's the first thing we see, and I've already mentioned it. We see the tension. Uh, one side was religious leaders. The other side was tax collectors and sinners. The, the tax collectors, you probably already know this, but let me just review it real quickly so we understand who he's talking about. Uh, the, the, the religious leaders looked over, and on that side there were tax collectors and sinners. That's how they, that's how they grouped them together. Well, he, he, he's, he, he's talking to these tax collectors and sinners. The, the tax collectors were literally that. They were tax collectors, and they were reviled by the average Jew. They were Jewish men that, that had sold out. They, they were working for Rome. Uh, that was bad enough, but they also, a lot of times, most times, were crooks as well. Uh, if, if Rome said you could tax a shekel, they could say, no, you owe two shekels. And what are you going to do? They had the authority of Rome behind them. So, so the, the common Jew really looked down on the tax collector because they had sold out. They were working for the enemy. Uh, Israel's, Israel's goal, Israel's plan, Israel's hope was that Someday the Messiah was going to come. Now, they didn't realize he was standing in their midst, but someday the Messiah was going to come. And when he did, he was going to kick Rome out of Israel. He was going to sit on a throne, and he was going to rule, they were going to rule the world like it should be. God was going to be back where he should be, and everything was going to be like, uh, like it should, and there was going to be peace and hope. And, and, and if you worked for Rome, I mean, you were the lowest. of. That's who the tax collectors were. Not only did they collect taxes, but man, they were working for the man, and, and, and they were hated. But it wasn't just tax collectors, it was tax collectors and sinners. Th that was a term that was used to be very, kind of all-inclusive. If, if, you, if you weren't a tax collector, but you were scum, we just called you a sinner. Basically, it was, again, it was Jews who had chosen to walk away from God. It wasn't that they just made some mistakes, it wasn't like they you know, had just wandered a little bit from God and were kind of going through some dark periods. It was people that, that had, had made a decision to turn from God. They weren't even making an effort to live according 
to the law. They, their lives were uh, w- without hope. Their lives were without peace. Their lives were, were, were without God. They had chosen all sorts of, uh, of things, all sorts of, uh, of, of living conditions uh, that didn't please God. So, so everyone that was just turned their back on God and the tax collectors, they, they were caught in a broad net that the Pharisees and relig- religious leaders called tax collectors and sinners. Notice this tension. First, here's the first tension. It's the tension between the righteous and the sinners. The, the tension, tension between the ones who thought they had it all together, who thought they had figured it out, the, the righteous, and those that were not, were opposite of, of that. Between the righteous and the sinners, the, the, the Pharisees muttered, he welcomes tax collectors and sinners, and he eats with them. Here's the reality. Jesus knew their hearts. When he crossed to that side of the room, uh, these men and women, uh, these disenfranchised, these disinterested, in some cases the disgusting, were for the first time interested in things of God. For the first time, they're the ears of their, literally their, their lives and their hearts were, were piqued with interest in what God had to say through this man, Jesus. That should have thrilled this group. That should have thrilled the religious leaders. Finally, these people that have turned their back and walked away from God, finally they want to know about him, uh, but that's not quite, uh, quite what it was. Th- these verses, w- when it says the tax collectors and sinners gathered with him, and then they threw out that barb. Uh, he welcomes them and eats with them. In their culture, they would have immediately understood what that meant. We read it, and I guess we get it, but, but in their culture, when someone ate with you, when you went to someone's house and had a meal with them, when you sat down with them and, and either provided or received a meal, you were saying, I welcome you. Remember the story, it's, it's a little bit later in Luke chapter 19, actually, the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, sing along with me right now. He climbed up in the sycamore tree. I'm not kidding, because the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going. Okay, got it. Love that story, love that song. That's a little junior church, children's church song. Maybe they're singing it downstairs right now. We read that and it's cute, but do you realize that is a powerful story? Because Jesus looked at a tax collector, looked at one that everyone around him, religious leaders and just a common person, looked at and, and saw as scum. And Jesus stopped and, a little pretentious to say, I'm coming to your house. Bruce, I'm going to come have supper with you. You know, that's kind of what he, what he, really what he said. But, but it was deep in that. What he was saying was, Zacchaeus, I'm going to accept you. I'm going to go to your house, and I'm going to sit down and have a meal with you, which I'm saying to you, you're family. I'm saying to you, you're my brother. I'm saying to you, you're my, you're my friend. I think it was three years ago we were in um, Mexico. We were finishing the, uh, on Thursday morning, finishing the, the build that we were on. We built a house for a, a family in the church and also worked on an orphanage that, that week, and uh, Thursday morning, we painted the house and finished up a couple odds and ends, and 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 then had the dedication where we 
we, we got to literally hand the keys of, of the house to the, the family that was going to receive it and, and prayed over them and prayed over the house and that, all those things. And it, it's kind of tradition. It happens most years. On the last day we're there, the family that we build for cooks us a meal, which is some great food. We just have some excellent meals. So the family, had, I mean, they'd, they'd fix a spread. They'd been walking in all morning, people from the church bringing food in. And, and we had a great meal. We stuffed ourselves, and then they brought these pastries, and oh, they were amazing. And, and so we left after we said our goodbyes to the, the family. That was probably about noon, 1230. We left and went back to the church that we were staying at. Our intent was to go back, load up the trailer, then we were crossing the border and heading home. We get back, and everyone kind of scatters to go get their bags and start bringing them out to load. And Susanna uh, come, comes over to me, one of the ladies on our trip. She, she speaks Spanish very well. And she came over and said, Tim, we've got a problem. So the pastor's wife just told me that she's cooking us lunch. What do we do? And I looked at Susanna and said, I don't know. Let's ask Gail. Gail was our Casas Per Cristo representative that, that, that led our build. So, so I found Gail, and I said, Gail, the, uh, Susanna said that the pastor's wife's cooking us a meal, cooking us lunch. We've just ate. We're stuffed. We need to get on the road. What do we do? And Gail said, I don't know. Let's ask David. Uh, David is David Robinson, the executive director of Casas Per Cristo, the head guy. And so she gets on the phone. She calls David. She comes back to me, and she, this is what she said. I'll never forget it. She looks at me. She says, Tim, David said, you eat the lunch. <laughs> uh, said she would be highly offended if after cooking that meal, you said, oh, no, you know, give it to someone else. She said she would be offended. It, it, it's her way of saying, I, I see you as family. And so we ate our second lunch in about an hour's time in Mexico. Luckily, we, any of you know Taylor Kennedy? I, I know some of you do. Luckily, we had Taylor and Kelly, his dad, with us, and they can eat like horses. So uh, everyone got a little bit, but Taylor and, and, uh, uh, and Kelly went back and got a couple. So, so we, we did a good job of eating, but man, we were stuffed. Uh, so it meant something when, when Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' home, when, when the religious leaders who meant it as a slam said he eats, he welcomes and eats with sinners and tax collectors. See, see here is the reality. It's, it's what they were saying and they meant it as, as harm, but it was true that Jesus was a friend of sinners. The, the reality is you can't read Scripture, you can't read the Gospels without coming away realizing that that's what defined Jesus. That He was defined by being a friend of sinners. Now, here's the, the, the tension. These two groups didn't care for one another. Religious leaders looked down on the sinners. The, the sinners looked wearily at the, the, the religious leaders. And the truth is, the religious leaders thought when Jesus came, when this Messiah type came, he was going to cater to them. And the truth is, these guys over here, these sinners, when, when the Messiah came, they assumed that he would go to the religious leaders as well. But instead, Jesus saw, showed himself as a, a friend of sinners. Okay, here's a second tension then. Who are you? And... In, in this group of parables, when you read this story, when you've got, you really have three main characters. You've got the religious leaders, you've got the sinners, you've got Jesus. Who are you? Now, now maybe you felt some tension. Maybe you're afraid I was going to have you vote which, which side you were on. You know, when, when you walked in that room, 
which side would you go to? Would you gravitate over here or over here? Now, let's be honest. Okay, let's be honest. Most of us probably would have come over here. I, I see some pastors. I see some elders and their wives. I see business. They're all dressed. Not, they're, they're, they look like me. They act like me. They talk like me. But you also know that you're probably, that's probably not the right answer. There's Sunday school class uh, the teacher was teaching. She asked, she asked this question of her class that day. She said, uh, what's, what, what has a long furry tail, lives in a tree, and eats nuts? The little, one little boy raised his hand. Uh, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm going to go ahead and say Jesus. Uh, so, so I know you're thinking, okay, well, what I'm supposed to do, what I, what I should have done, and that's the church answer is I would go over to this side. You know, I'd walk over, I'd walk over here and, you know, say to a lady, those are nice slippers. Where'd you get those? Or I've been looking for a pair of pajama pants just like that. Or maybe walk up to a guy and say, man, that's a cool tattoo. Is that your dad? No, that's my mom. Uh, but, but who are you? Are, uh, are you the religious leaders that looks down on the sinners? Are you the sinners that looks warily at the religious leaders? Or are you Jesus? Now, I'm not saying... You're Jesus, but do you have that heart? And see, that brings up a third, uh, a third uh, tension here. It, it's there. It's really what we see in that, those first two verses then in the perils. What do we do with sinners? What, what do we do with people that Jesus seemed drawn to? See, Jesus knew they were lost. He knew the condition of their heart. He knew what they had done. He, he knew how far they had wandered, and yet he was drawn to them. What do we do with those? Tony Campolo, uh, author and, and uh, Christian speaker, uh, tells this, this story. Uh, he, he flew into Hawaii for a speaking engagement. He got in very, very late. By the time he got to the hotel that he was staying at, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning. He took his bags up to the room, but, but he, he was wired, and he couldn't go to sleep, and, and he was kind of hungry, so he walked down uh, to, to the, the lobby and stepped out into the street to see if he could find some place that was open. And so he looked down the street, and he, way down he saw only one light that was kind of flashing, and so he headed that direction, and it was a little all-night diner-type place. And so, so at about 3 o'clock in the morning, 3.15, he opens the door, the little bell rings as he opens. He sits down at a counter orders a cup of coffee and a donut. He's sitting there, and about 3.30, the door opens, and in walks a group of about eight ladies. And it was obvious from their, their appearance, the way they were talking, the way they were acting, it was, a, it was obvious who they were or what they did for a living. Uh, they were ladies of the evening, and, and, and it was obvious. He almost got up and walked out, you know, a little uncomfortable, but... But, but he stayed there. And, and as he st uh, sat there at the table, these ladies all around him, he heard one of these ladies, her, her name was Agnes, say to one of her friends, she said, you know, tomorrow's my birthday. Her friends shot back immediately, well, what do you want me to do about it? You want me to throw you a party or something? And Agnes' response kind of holding, uh, bowing her head down a little bit, a little embarrassed, no, I, I, I was just saying it was my birthday. And then, Campolo heard her kind of under her breath mutter, why would you throw me a party? No one has ever thrown me a party. 
few minutes later, the, the, the ladies got up and walked out, and Coppola looked over at the guy behind the counter. His name was Harry, and he, he said to him, do they come in here all the time? He said, yeah, every morning about 3.30. He said, I've got an idea. How about we throw Agnes a birthday party? And Harry's eyes lit up and said, man, that's a great idea. He said, my wife will make a cake. She loves to bake. And, and Coppola says, well, I'll take care of everything. I'll get all the stuff. Your wife makes the cake. I'll see you tomorrow about 2.30, and we'll get everything set up. So, so, so the next morning, Coppola comes in, and he's got a big old sign that says, Happy Birthday, Agnes, and he's got little party hats and little things you blow on the, what do you call those, you know, and, and he's got all that stuff together, and, and, and Harry's got the cake with candles on it, and the word had kind of spread out to the street, and, and so at about 3 o'clock, the, the diner was full of people that were there to celebrate. They've all got their hats on, and it's a festive emotion. And about 3.30, in comes Agnes and a couple more of her friends. And as soon as they walk in, everyone yells out together, Happy birthday, Agnes. And Agnes is just, uh, just freezes. I mean, she's, what? And, and Harry comes around the corner. He's got this cake, and it's, the candles are lit. And he says, Happy birthday, Agnes. And, and, and Compolo goes over and pops a hat on her, little party hat on her head, and says, Happy birthday, Agnes. And, and, and everyone begins to sing Happy birthday. And when, when it's over, Agnes looked over to Harry and said, Harry, can I take the cake home to show my mom? I only live about a block from here. Harry said, well, it's your cake, yeah. So, so Agnes turned around with the cake and walked out. Coppola said it was kind of, kind of uncomfortable. And we had the party for her, and she turns around and, and leaves. And so he said, I, I did the only thing I knew to do as a preacher. We took an offering. No, he didn't do that. He said, he said we prayed. And so I said, can, can we pray? And so they stopped, and he said, said I prayed for Agnes, and I prayed for her, her safety, and I prayed for her. Uh, her, her heart, and I prayed for her soul, as I did for the other people, uh, other people that were were there. And said, when I finished praying, Harry came up to him and he said, "I didn't know you were a preacher." And, and then he said to Campolo, "What kind of church do you belong to?" Campolo says, "I belong to the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at three thirty in the morning." Harry said, "No, you don't. That church doesn't exist. Because if it did," I'd go there. Coppola goes on to say, wouldn't, wouldn't we all? He goes on to describe it this way. He says, well, that's the kind of church that Jesus came to create. I, I don't know where we got the other one that's so prim and proper, but anyone who reads the New Testament will discover a Jesus who loved to party with prostitutes and with all kinds of left out people. The tax collectors, the sinners loved him because he partied with them. The lepers of society found in him someone who would eat and drink with them. And while the solemnly pious could not relate to what he was about, those lonely people who usually didn't get invited to parties took him in with excitement. What's exciting is that, is that the, the heart of Jesus was seen by those religious leaders, and it ticked them off. But what's even more exciting was that the tax collectors and the sinners and the ones left out saw the heart of Jesus. Now, I don't know what we do with sinners. I, I don't know what Troy Christian Church does with sinners. But I do know what Jesus did. He was their friend. So there's tension. The, the righteous and the sinners, where do we fit in this story? What do we do uh, with with sinners uh, as Jesus did? How do we handle that? Let's, let's look at one last thing, and we'll close with this. Let's look at the second thing. It's the truth. We see the tension in this passage, but we also see the truth. The truth comes out in the parables. 
that Jesus gave. Uh, again, three wonderful parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. What we see in the truth is we see something about ourselves. And here's that reality. Here's the reality that comes out of those parables. I am lost. I may want to see myself over here, but the truth is I'm over here. The truth is I'm just as lost. I'm just as, uh, as, as, uh, as disenfranchised as, uh, as anyone else. I'm lost without the power of Jesus and without his forgiveness in my life. Uh, I'm that lost sheep. I'm that lost coin. I'm that lost uh, son. See, see, see scripture, scripture tells us that. It says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says, none is righteous. No, not one. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in it. The truth is, the truth is I'm, we're all lost. But we're also all have the opportunity to be found. And we have an obligation. Uh, I, uh, we have a mission then uh, as Jesus to seek and to save those who are lost. Uh, if we were lost and Jesus found us, then shouldn't that be what we're about as well? And we also see one other truth, and it's about God. We see it again in these, these three parables. We see that God's a very personal God. He knows us. The parable of the lost sheep, a guy had 100 sheep and he lost one of them. He left 99 to go find that one. It tells us that, that the shepherd knew his sheep. Now, you, you got a flock of 99. It's got to be, I, 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 I've never had animals. we got a bunch of dogs, but they're not, you know, one, two, three, yeah, we got them all. Uh, 99, 100 sheep, you can look out there and assume, well, it looks like I got them all. But apparently this shepherd cared so much that he's counting. One, two, three, four, six, 99, he counted again. One, did, I'm missing one. He probably knew which one it was, and he left them all to, to go find it. Jesus, uh, Jesus is personal. God is personal with us, and, and he knows when we're lost. The reality is he pursues us. A lady had ten coins, and suddenly she realized she only had nine. She had lost one. It says she tore her house apart looking for that lost coin. When she finally found it, she threw a party, got it all, all excited. She pursued, I am going to find that coin. If it takes me all day, I'm going to find that coin. God pursues us. He wants us. You, you may be far from him this morning, but God is pursuing. You could probably tell stories. There's stories in this church of people who've turned from God, and yet every time you turned around, there was someone pursuing you, God pursuing you some way through other people. See, God pursues us, and God is also patient. The story of the lost son, the prodigal son, shows us that God is patient. He doesn't give up on us. That, that father sat on that porch every night waiting to see that son walking down the path, and when he did, he welcomed him home, and he, and he threw a party and said, Son, I'm glad you're here. That's when I saw it. I was standing on that street in El Paso, Texas, feeling panic. What am I going to do? Turning around, trying to find something that would show me where I was or how to get home. And that's when I saw it. It was a water tower. See, I'd walked past that water tower earlier that morning. It was a half a block from Ralph, uh, Raphael and Rose's house. And when I saw that water tower stretching up into the sky, I knew where I was. Well, actually, I didn't know where I was, but I knew how to get where I needed to be. And I started walking towards that tower. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded 
by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that easily entangles. And let us run the perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Maybe you don't know where you are, and you're not sure how to get back to where you need to be. Maybe you come in contact with people who are lost and they don't know where to go. The, the sister talked about the ladies across the street that are, that are struggling, that are lost. And they, they, they know where they want to be, they just don't know how to get there. Well, we find Jesus and we walk towards him. See, when we see him, the author and perfecter of our faith, then everything comes into focus and we follow him. Jesus... Jesus, uh, a friend, a friend of sinners. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you that your righteousness extends not just to those that think they're holy. Father, your righteousness extends not just for those who have it all together, but you offer it to each one of us. You offer forgiveness and acceptance and hope and peace to every person who would call on your name. Father, give us a sense of tension in our lives this morning, a, a tension that would drive us to follow you, would drive us to be like your son Jesus, a friend of those who are hurting. We pray in Jesus' name. If you're here this morning and you have a decision you need to share with the congregation, we would encourage you to come. Maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you'd like to have the elders gather around you and lay their hands on you and, and lift you up to find encouragement. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you're sitting on this side, but you really think I should have been over there because, oh, man, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. If you're here this morning, that's who you are. You've got good news. Jesus is your friend. You need to come stand as we sing.